just a bit of an opening before we get to our Bible reading this morning. <clears throat> so this morning we come to the fourth in our sermon series on Ephesians, chapter 3, verses four, from verse 14 to chapter 4, verse 16. So do have your Bibles open or on, depending on what you've got. Now, two weeks ago, Jane spoke on chapters, on verses 1 to 13 of chapter 3, about the mystery that through the gospel, we Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We've been grafted in. This was a hidden mystery that was revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit, and to which Paul is now speaking. We Gentiles now share the promises of Christ Jesus. But we start today at chapter 3, verse 14. Now the context of the whole of Ephesians is that Paul is suffering and writing from prison, praying that his fellow believers would not be discouraged, but strengthened through their inner being. And we start today with the same opening words as we found last time in the first verses of chapter 3. For this reason, Paul is drawing us back to his train of thought. So from verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power and through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He also descend, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become a mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up unto him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. So I've got three points or titles this morning. Paul's prayer, Paul's plea, and Paul teaches. So Paul's prayer, how do we respond if someone asks us if we are a Christian? We could ask the same question to many during our daily lives, and I'm sure many would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Although I understand some Star Wars fans would um, strangely put down Jedi on the 2011 census when asked what their religion was, but that's Star Wars fans for you. But seriously though, and uh, more challenging is the question, do you know God personally? This is quite offensive to some, even within the church. It's as though as evangelical Christians, we are presumptuous, as if we know better. But I'm challenging us all, me included, about those times when we are in the desert place or valley, when the Lord seems distant. I've certainly been there and I'm in some ways there today and struggling. And we, we feel sometimes that we're being crushed. Or perhaps it's when we're out of communion with Jesus, when sin has got in the way and when what's really required is the need to repent to turn around and to come back to our Heavenly Father. But this is what Paul in these opening verses is praying for, that believers won't be discouraged or crushed in difficult times. This is Paul's prayer for us here, as well as the church in Ephesus. This would, that, this would be strength, that we would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being. Verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul here considers the magnitude and majesty of God's worldwide work of redemption in Christ. God's plan of redemption through the Jewish people is told through the Old Testament scriptures and points towards Jesus, the cross, resurrection and now the gospel for the Gentiles. What else could Paul do but bow the knee? And so should we in humble adoration of God the Father, the great King above all kings. But we do fail and bow down to other things than the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. This could simply be taking our eyes off Jesus, allowing the enemy to subtly distract us with life's worries and concerns, or when we foolishly place ourselves in situations that aren't good for our spiritual health. Life is hard, we must search our hearts, ask the Holy Spirit to come and convict where we fall short and where we fail to put Jesus first and turn around, which is what repentance is, and bow the knee in humble adoration before the Father. And the reason we can do this we see in verse 12 of chapter 3, the previous chapter, in him, that is Christ, 
and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In these verses, Paul recognises that this is every family on earth, as in heaven, affirming the Father's sovereignty over all the nations of the world. Paul prays, Paul prays for believers that out of the glorious riches, they are strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being. Don't we want more of the Holy Spirit to convict us when we are out of communion with the Lord and strengthen us with power through his Spirit in our inner being so that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith? In these evil days, which we surely live in, we surely want to be rooted and established in love, having power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What an amazing prayer for believers. Come Holy Spirit, may Paul's prayer for the Ephesians be for us too. May we bow the knee and grasp the depths of this mystery. And point number two, Paul's plea. Chapter four then begins with Paul's plea to believers. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul speaks strongly here. It's a plea as to, each, as to how each member of the church should be if it is to flourish. Live worthy lives. Worthy means of sufficient weight. Christians are to live in a manner worthy of adoption, holiness and unity to which we are all called. William Barclay says, when a man enters into a society, he takes upon himself the obligation to live a certain kind of life. And if he fails in that obligation, he hinders the aim of his society and brings discredit on its name. Verse 2, be completely humble. In Paul's day, humility was regarded as distasteful. Pride was more highly prized. Perhaps that's where we are back to today. All these virtues mentioned, humility, gentleness, patience, and most of all, agape love, were displayed in Jesus' own character and are to be evident in the daily walk of every Christian. Barclay also says these first three verses of chapter four shine like jewels, with humility being the gem of all virtues. These virtues are pillars of the Christian faith, bound together by peace. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We need to be eager to maintain that unity, but we can't make unity happen. Unity only happens around the gospel, the undiluted gospel, 
Only the gospel can create and unite people from all different races and backgrounds, social status, ages and genders. And that's because the gospel says our unity isn't based on any of these things. Our unity is based on something objective, something sure and unchanging, the life, death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and upon his word, the Bible. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realise, it is rather a reality created by God in Christ to which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognise that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely we shall think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. So it's the gospel that creates and sustains the unity. But when we lose sight of this reality, the church becomes no more than a glorified social club and division can break out. For we then have nothing in common with each other. But we do have unity in the gospel. We are all sinners purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. We have the same Holy Spirit. We share God's word, baptism and unite around the communion table together. We have to keep the gospel central because this doesn't come naturally to us because of sin. Our ego and pride get in the way. But the gospel can kill pride. In the words of the hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. So if we want brotherly affection for one another and grow in unity together, we need to grow deeper and deeper in the gospel. It's the gospel we need to keep central. Otherwise, worse than being a social club, we'll bite and devour each other and eventually be consumed by one another, as Galatians 5.15 says. Genuinely being eager to maintain that unity in the gospel would be an amazing witness to the world. So let's take Paul's plea to believers seriously. Finally, Paul teaches, verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let's be clear here, this does not refer to different levels of saving grace, but to grace given to serve Christ's church. This is about church governance and office and requires a calling from Christ himself who rules over the body as its head. Verse 8, this is why it says, when he ascended on high he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Here Paul refers to Psalm 68, verse 18, where, one, where the one who ascended on high is the Lord God. Paul teaches here in Ephesians that this is referring to Jesus' resurrection and ascension after he descended in the incarnation to suffer, die 
and be buried, and where he also defeated death and rose again. Christ's resurrection took many captive, meaning Christ triumphed over demons and over the spiritual forces of darkness. Christ is the head of the church who fills all things with glory and power and has, sov- has the sovereign prerogative to give gifts to his people. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip, to equip his church for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ sovereignly distributes the gifts to those in the church whose primary mission is as officers to minister the word of God, to nurture and equip the church. These gifts are sometimes called the five ministry offices. Apostles, those called by Christ. Prophets, those bringing prophecy to the New Testament church. Evangelists like Philip and Timothy who proclaim the gospel. Pastors, those who watch over and nurture the saints. And teachers, those responsible for instruction in God's word. With these gifts, there is a focus here on supernaturally gifted people who articulate the gospel. However, we mustn't confuse these with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit distributes to each one of us and which we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11, and 1 Peter 4, verse 10. The Holy Spirit may give any one of those gifts as he wishes, just like picking a tool from a toolbox for a specific time and purpose to minister among and to his people. And doesn't the church today desperately need leaders with a genuine calling and gifting to lead churches? We appear to have in many places, not only in the Church of England, shepherds who just aren't called. They are, neither, they are sadly neither prophets or evangelists, with many unwilling to present the undiluted gospel. Poor pastors, teachers, with some even teaching heresy and seemingly more interested in climbing the clerical ladder than much else. They are therefore leading the church down a very dark path which will not end well. But what should be our response to this? We must pray for them, the flocks under their care, and most importantly support our godly, biblically sound leaders, called to office to lead and teach God's people, discipling and nurture them until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Only when God's people are really discipled and rooted in the scripture will we, as verse 14 says, no longer be tossed, no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love 
as each part does its work. This is so true. How many have fallen away from the faith when the waves have become choppy because of poor discipleship? Because they aren't rooted in scripture, being lured by the pleasures of sin and the world. Lord, may we be able to hold fast to the gospel and scripture. Have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Christ Jesus is is the standard of maturity in which we, the church, must aspire, speaking the truth in love. To summarise Paul's teaching, let's pray for our church leaders. Those called to serve in church office, in whatever Christian denomination they are called, that they will faithfully preach the gospel and disciple their flock and that we will all grow to maturity and won't be tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching or by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. May we be a body held together by every supporting ligament that grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So to conclude... There are three points from our Ephesians passage today. Paul's prayer. May we bow the knee and grasp the depths of this mystery. Paul's plea. May we live worthy lives, being eager to maintain the unity in the gospel, which will be an amazing witness to the world. And finally, Paul teaches May we grow in discipleship and come to maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God, the fullness of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, we just ask, Lord, that you'll come in your power upon us this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. Convict us, Lord, where we fall short. May we bow the the knee and grasp the depths of this mystery and be able to come before you in boldness, before your throne of grace. Lord, may we live worthy lives, being eager to maintain the unity in the gospel. And may we be discipled and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen.